0: So, hello and welcome everybody. My name is Amber Winston. And I want to welcome you to the Return of Ritual online show. Um, the reason I started this project was I am just wildly passionate about rituals and ceremonies. And I fundamentally believe that the sacred or, you know, ritual and ceremony is it's somewhat lost in our day to day life. And It's my mission really to interview as many experts as possible and discuss sacred ritual and how we can start to embed those practices back in our lives and ultimately lead ourselves back to sacred wholeness um, or ultimately to remember who we really are. Uh, So today I have a wonderful, wonderful guest. Uh, He's actually one of my teachers. I think he's fantastic. Uh, Mr. Dean Carabarelli. So welcome, Dean. Hi, Amber. Thanks for having me. It's so wonderful to have you here. Um, I first actually met Dean a couple of years ago when I was going through the 4 Winds training. Um, I met him down in Chile and just was instantly felt connected to you, Dean, and just felt like you were this conduit of so much wisdom and inspiration in the world. And so it's, again, really my pleasure to have you here with us today.
1: And mine as well, Amber. Thank you so much.
0: So the first question that I'd like to dive into um, is it's kind of an icebreaker question. It's, you know, Dean, what is your ideal morning or evening ritual? What does that look like?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, Amber, I think that if we look at ritual and you know, what is that? It's that that's a good question to begin with. And, you know, my, my ritual and, and actually, my goal is to have my morning ritual actually go out to and take up the whole day until I go to bed, right? And, and so really, in terms of, of ritual and ceremony, you know, why is it that we say, okay, well, I'm going to meditate or go out and make offerings to the land or do whatever. I'm going to do that from, you know, 6 to 630 And then the rest of my day, I'm going to be in the program. I'm going to be in my uh, conditioned responses. So really, I try to bring as much of the concept of ceremony into every aspect of my life. But to answer your question, um, if I don't start out on the right foot, then it's very easy to get sucked into the mundane, into the mechanics of life and forget about the sacredness of life. So my ideal ritual is I wake up and the first thing that I do every single morning, Amber, is I have a cup of coffee with a lot of oil in it. I just love that and I do that before my meditation. So that's the first thing that I do. Then I'll sit there in the dark and sort of just drink that and feel into my own space. And then I have a meditation practice that I do. And that can be anywhere from five minutes to an hour depending on how i'm feeling and then i will also go outside so it's important if we look at all the traditional societies in the world you know they would go out and greet the sun and um Mm. understand their connection to to nature and when we can understand our connection to nature then we can understand our inner nature better so i try to do that every morning without fail if i sit in my computer first it's all over you know it just it never works out that way
0: a hundred percent yeah i can totally relate to that and it's funny because as i was preparing for this interview this morning i i had my list of questions prepared the night before and then i sat down in my meditation this morning and it was just throw those questions away and it was a a clear sign of trust what's going to come through in this interview and then i went outside and i greeted the sun and i did my morning rituals and i came back and i sat down and all these different questions started to come through and it was just such a beautiful um unfolding you know that when you do start your day off on the right foot it's amazing how it can take you down these different directions that maybe you didn't have planned otherwise
1: yeah yeah that's the whole point you know i think that probably anybody that's interested in in listening to this interview and i think most people that i have ever met in my life whether they even know this or not would like to have a life that's spontaneous right mm-hmm. that that we are guided by the moment and so if we look at nature that's how nature works you know trees grow plants grow they don't think about it they they just are and they just do and that spontaneity really is what um, then we'll create synchronicity you know and that's what uh, a lot of people talk about hey when I'm in the flow of life all of a sudden what I need appears and that's how I know that I'm in the flow if I have to grab or reach or grasp that to see if I'm in flow and interestingly enough, a great way to get in the flow and is to just really connect to our to our nature and our, our nature is exactly what we have everybody has rituals um if we if we look at even though rites of passage and other rituals have been lost in our western culture to a, to a pretty everybody understands graduation ceremony wedding ceremony uh we, so we do important things in our culture in the framework of a ceremony, even though we kind of don't think about it much. It was a little ceremony, you know, I get a little cake and a little song and, and I get to make a wish, that's a, that's a ceremony. And, um, and somehow that brings us back to ourselves, you know?
0: Mm, definitely. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. And, and I want to ask you about addiction. Um, can you just describe in your own words what addiction is? Yeah.
1: And, <laughs> you know, I think in the simplest definition, addiction is where people will do something that feels good or takes care of a problem. Um, and then that whatever they're doing becomes costly in whatever way and they keep doing it anyway. So it's where I'll do something that I don't want to do anymore despite the consequences to myself and others. And I think that's a pretty good sort of non-technical description of of addiction.
0: Yeah, that's that's helpful. And and the reason I ask is I was fortunate enough to visit your um, addiction recovery facility in Sedona, Arizona called The Sanctuary. And I'm really curious to hear how you have embedded shamanism, sacred rituals, sweat lodges, labyrinths, you know, you name them, into kind of an addiction recovery center.
1: Yeah. Well, I think in order to really understand how that works, Amber. I think we have to understand kind of the nature of ritual and what it does for us, right? Mm -hmm. Why why do we do it? Is it just kind of fun? Is it just something to do because we have nothing better to do? Why is this thing across cultures worldwide since recorded history? Why is it that it's still around? Obviously, it's important. I look at something like, hey, something's been around for a few thousand years, uh, people are pretty smart, and, and nobody said, hey, you know, this isn't work. Let's, let's stop doing it. Somebody would have probably figured out that half of this stuff doesn't do anything, but they don't. So a ritual is a way to, in my opinion, to connect to the, the domain of the soul. And mm-hmm. so if we look at what makes us human, and most of us understand, hey, I have this body you know, here it is, it's this physical thing I'm walking around in. Most people um, kind of ignore the complexity of the body and the technology in the body to feel better. We have a mind, we understand, hey, this is my thoughts. Many of us think that we are our thoughts. Actually, what a lot of people don't realize is 95% of what's going on in your mind is unconscious, right? So I wake up and I say, I'm going to have a great day today. Well, that's with my little 5% little microcomputer, and then the 95% big Pentagon mainframe computer says, oh, no, you feel bad about yourself. I'm not aware that that's all going on. So that's the mind part. Mm -hmm. But the soul, and what is this thing? And I've asked thousands of people this question, Amber, and everybody, regardless of how connected or disconnected or spiritual or not spiritual or religious or not religious – Most people understand that the soul is an important word and most people will have some answer that it's like my truest, authentic nature, you know, down underneath all my addictions, all my stuff, you know, I ask people the question, do you think your soul's a drug addict? And people are like, no, I'm like, yeah, probably not. You know, that's, so the soul is my most authentic, truest nature. And when I begin to do things that are outside of my nature, and I'll usually do those because of some kind of defense mode, some kind of negative, hey, it was, it was not safe anymore to be myself. Think about a little kid in the schoolyard sharing something, and all the kids make fun of him. Uh, all of a sudden, it's not safe to be that anymore. Now I have to fit in with them, so I get further mm-hmm. and further away from my true nature. and. Eventually, we wake up one day and we are lost. And that shows up as people being listless and lifeless. And So really, in terms of addiction recovery, the soul is the most important aspect. Of course, we have to heal the traumas and all that kind of stuff, which, um, you know, that's fairly cut and dry in this day and age. Um, But I think really to heal our trauma, to do what? To connect to this true nature of mine. And when I'm doing that, now I'm connected to my creative potential and to my dreaming and to like the realm of possibilities, not to get caught in the probabilities of life. So this is where all the juice is for people, whether they know it or not. It's in the soul. When I'm connected to my soul, all of a sudden I'll get ideas and I'll get inspired to go do things that I would never do. And all of a sudden, I'm living in a new place. I have a new partner. I have a new job. Um, I think you're a good example of that, Amber. You know, you were on one track, <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're heading down a whole different track. And totally. if we weren't connected to the soul, we would never get there. So in terms of a treatment center, we are, we are in every single day all kinds of rituals. We have a process that we do at dinner every single night that is one of people's favorite things. But our sweat lodge, again, it's another thing. This thing can be three and four hours long. And for myself, I can go to the spa and go in the sauna for like 10 minutes and then I'm kind of done, you know, I'm sort of fried in yeah. there. When we get in sweat, all of a sudden we are in a time stand still and people are sharing and singing songs. These are people that can't, I can't sing, you know, and yet we do. And somehow, when we get in those places of ritual, it allows us to forget ourselves for a moment. And I think everybody in this call will understand. You know, a time when you were so in the moment, uh, you know, writing a, uh, something that was important to you or involved in some hobby that you were doing, and three, four, five hours go by, and you realize, oh my God, my back hurts, and my I'm hungry. And I'm all the th- you know, I forgot about my body for a minute. I forgot about myself because I'm so in the moment, and that's what ritual does. So, labyrinth and meditation and all those things—they're so important because that's the domain of the soul. And I can tell you, you know, I've been in the recovery world forever, and that's where the juice is. You know, it's not in EMDR. Now, I'm not saying, please don't hear. That's a big st- you know, people love to pick up on statements like that and. You know, now I've made a statement against the EMDR. That's not what I'm saying. Um, I'm saying EMDR, that's all great. But why is it that that doesn't work on its own? Because people need to reconnect to their authentic nature or else nothing else matters, Amber.
0: Hmm. What is your dinner ritual? I'm curious, the one that everyone loves.
1: Well, our dinner ritual is we will share. um, Everybody gets a chance to share Something that is really inspiring for them or something that they're working. It doesn't have to be some touchy-feely feel-good things. This is something that I'm changing, something that I'm, something that's important to me, right? And why we do that is because it helps to lock it in. If you think about the reason why most people are out of ritual is because I'm caught in the mechanics of my day and a certain way of thinking. Um, our thoughts, most people, and that I'm going to say all people you know eighty five percent of what 's going on in your brain today is the same stuff that was going on in your brain yesterday, so you keep rethinking the same thoughts over and over and over again. you know we could walk right by the Buddha and i 'm looking at my phone I'm, you know and I miss him you know I'm, so therefore, like a great revelation happens and I dismiss it so when we can recited and helped to create new neural networks plus it gives people a chance to share like authentically what what's going on for them and it's sort of like a functional village dinner you know that everybody has a chance to share something intimate the staff is there too so we all share and um everybody really digs it because most people don't eat like that anymore amber as people eat up or on the run because i have appointments or take the kids to soccer or whatever the heck it is and i understand that's all important part of life but there's something about sitting down and eating in a ritual and that actually is a million times better for us physically it's better for your digestion it's, it's like there's like a million things about it and so that's something that everybody gets here and they kind of wish, wow, I wish we did this at home. And uh, and a lot of people attempt to take that home with them.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I remember growing up as a young girl and we would have dinners together very formally. Um, and then, yeah, as I've gotten older, you know, I'm eating on the go or I'm working and eating at the same time. And, and so I think that's just a beautiful reminder for anyone who is listening that it can just be a simple change that, you know, when it's dinner time, cell phones are turned off and put away. You know, maybe we, there's some nice music on in the background, and we're really just coming together to sit and nourish our bodies and connect with our family. I think that's such a attainable thing to aspire to. So, what about what about you uh, personally, Dean? So, what about on your evolutionary journey that you're on, um, how has sacred ritual or ceremony really impacted you personally on your journey back to wholeness or back to remembering who you truly are? Um, If you just kind of look back in your life, were there any moments or experiences that really helped contribute to that?
1: Yeah. You know, I think that for me, you know, I, I look back on my life and I've had some very, very key moments that I couldn't hold on to, you know, these synchronistic things that happen, these very special moments, but I couldn't grasp them Once I started to connect to the wisdom traditions, you know, the way I got involved in this whole thing, you know, I've been in treatment. I was in treatment in my life. I was in some kind of recovery model for 20 years, right? So I've been to the best treatment centers that money can buy, many of them. And I paid very strict attention to that while I was there because I wanted to get well. And when those things, I went all over the world to try to, recover. So I've been to 50 countries, 60. I heard of a doctor. I go see him or a shaman or a mystic or whatever. I get on an airplane and go over there and realize that, wow, wait a second. These, these domains of the soul are really where the healing is. So for me, the most important part of, of all of this was to understand what my purpose in life is. And that's a real soul thing. And actually on the most rudimentary level, what is our purpose in life? Our purpose in life is to actively participate in the evolution of our species and our and ourselves. What does that mean? That means that, you know, we come from single-cell animals and all the way so we have billions of years of evolution stored in our body our cells have you know all those species that then became us we have that in us and there will be things that come after us so we are we are a stepping stone in the evolutionary process if that's not really important i don't know what is so if people think their lives aren't important, well that's so so really if we look at nature go out in nature the next time you're out and you'll see you pay attention, every little bug, every little thing, everything has a purpose, right? This plant eats that plant, this secretes something that some bug eats, and this protects that. And this thing is working, this great symbiotic relationship, all of nature. And we are part of that where we're not. And if we're not, no wonder why we feel lost, right? And a great way to become part of that is to get into the ritual of paying attention to that right that wait a second the same force that is spinning spiral galaxies and making the water go down the drain in a certain direction that is the spiral of the nautilus shell all the sacred geometry well if if something is uh causing a galaxy to spin and something is causing a hurricane to spin and something is causing up the spiral of a nautilus shell those things in a scale from six inches to hundred light years, that force must affect me. It has to, nobody's exempt from it, right? There's nobody special enough on this planet that that energy doesn't influence them. All we have to do is connect to it. It's right there. It's, it's, it's kind of like in the car, all I have to do is turn on the radio I don't have to move the car anywhere to receive the channel. I just have to turn on the radio and tune into the channel that I want to hear. That's all we have to do. And ritual and ceremony is probably the quickest, easiest, most direct way to do that. So I don't know if I answered your question or not, but uh, if I didn't, if you could remind me what it was, if not. (laughs) Um,
0: No, I, I think that. That This is so beautiful, and I'm thinking about listeners who might be listening to this who are kind of questioning, like, well, what's my purpose? And, um, you know, I think what you said so eloquently is, is recognizing a force greater than yourself, getting out inside in nature and connecting to nature. Um, and then really for people who, I guess, to distill it down to the mundane almost, you know, maybe there is a little ritual that they can start to incorporate in their lives that really connects them to that soul part of themselves. And once they're connected, then insights might come or they might feel drawn to certain things. And then, then they might have a better understanding of what their purpose is. Is there anything else you would add to that for somebody who's questioning what's my purpose?
1: Yeah. And and I think a lot of people do question that at some point in time, you know, everybody wonders, you know, what the heck is, am I doing here? What's this all mean? And I can also share that your purpose is not going to come from here. Um, that's not to say that the skills we learn in school, you know, that this purpose is a soul thing. And purpose uh, helps us to connect to meaning. And meaning is another soul thing, right? So your life has whatever meaning you have assigned to it. So if your life is sacred and beautiful and connected to nature, then it is. It doesn't matter whether you live in New York City, Los Angeles, or in the middle of the tundra, I'm still, that's my life experience. That's my reality. And if I think that I'm not connected, then I'm not. Regardless, I could live in a monastery and feel like I'm not connected and, and I wouldn't be. So really, the meaning that we assign to life becomes the most important Thing, because again, your life can be rich regardless of your circumstances, or your life can be poor regardless of your circumstances. You know, we are. Um, I've had the pleasure of sitting across from some very monetarily wealthy people that are some of the poorest people you'll ever meet, living in scarcity and fear, and and so they have all the trappings of success, just like I did back in the day, but their life doesn't have. Deep meaning. So, a way we connect to this, how do I connect to the domain of the soul? Because it's not literal. I can't think my way there. The soul, the only way that we can access the domains of the soul is through creativity and through ceremony. So, when we think about that, um, you know, you and I can sit here and have done a month of research on some famous piece of art, right? We read all these books and I, I know about the artist and how, you know, a million statistics about this thing and the mechanics. But until I see the piece of art, it doesn't land. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we can talk about love for the next hour of our interview. And then we read a line of Rumi, you know, two lines. Oh my God, it touches us. That's what, mm-hmm. that's the domain of the soul. And so if you want to get to know yourself really on a deep level, that's the only way we're gonna get there because you can't think you're right there.
0: Mm. I love the the thought of just the creativity part and the poetry. And um, you know, I I get the sense people might say, Well, I'm not a creative person, you know. And and it's like, yes, you are yes you are you know find what it is for you that is your creative inspiration whether it's reading poetry or you know doing finger paintings with your children you know how can we embed a little bit more creativity in our in our lives to connect to the domain of the soul as you say um everybody's beautiful uh, everybody
1: has it's so interesting i I live in this beautiful community and sanctuary is just as much of a community as it is a treatment center. And, you know, there's a guy here that has been, was here before I got here, you know, and he, every single stone that's laying around out here, this guy has carved and put in place. He is an artist. He doesn't necessarily think of himself as an artist. You know, this guy is a, you know, he's a Latin guy that immigrated here, you know, he's just trying to take care of his family, so he's got a steady job. But when he is putting these rocks down, all of a sudden, this guy, like, comes alive. And he will get the clients as they're walking by, and it doesn't speak much English, you know, but he'll get the clients and show them some stairs he just made, you know, whatever. So this guy's not just a a laborer, this guy's an artist. And, you know, it some other people that work here, you know, their what their medicine is, they love their families. You know, they're all about the family and creating this family space. Like that's their magic. That's that's their real soul connection. That's their purpose is to raise this family. So I think that it's probably helpful to just put away all of the preordained concepts of what creativity means. Because, hey, if we wait to create until I'm a great painter, well, I'm a terrible painter. So that's never, you know, probably not going to happen. But you know what? We paint anyway. And when people are in the sweat lodge, you know, it's really cool. I share this a lot. I'm like, it's dark in here. If you sing in your car, like nobody can see you sing. And what's amazing <laughs> is everybody's singing. And that's what helps people to, to just get back to that. To themselves for that moment and all of a sudden it's amazing how people forget about their addictions and their problems and all the things that they have going on when they get in those moments and if we can do that more and more amber then hey i i can spend 23 hours of my day in the ceremony of life and one hour struggling with all my programs Um, which is the opposite of what a lot of people do, say, okay, I'm going to set aside this kind of sacred hour. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to really take, this is kind of my personal time. And then the rest of the 23 hour, I'm in the grind. What I'm trying to do is, hey, if I can extend my hour into more hours and eventually all of life is so sacred. And if people could understand or take a moment to realize that in their bodies, in your body right now, somewhere between 50 and 100 trillion cells. Nobody really knows. I don't know how we even count that high and figure it out, but um, that's how many cells are in your body. Every one of those cells is responsible for thousands of things that it's doing in concert. So you have hundreds, you know, you have thousands of trillions of processes happening in your body right now. If That's not the most, like mind-boggling, fascinating thing. I don't know what it is. You know, if that's not magic, then, you know, I don't know what it takes to impress people. You know, if that doesn't get you
0: <laughs> I did um I was chatting with um Maya Toll. she's an author, and she said to me, she said, you know, where are you where are you located? And I said, San Diego. And um she was on the East Coast and she's like, and we're talking through a computer, right? And I said, Yep. She's like, do you know what's in the computer? And I said, no. And she's like, crystals. She's like, if this isn't magic, I don't know what is. You know, and it was just that beautiful reminder that yes, our human bodies or the fact that you're in Arizona and I'm in California and we're communicating and we're looking at each other through technology. If that's not magic, you know, what is?
1: And that's a, that's a word, Amber, that, is worth spending a little time on because magic, listen, I don't care how literal, you know, the president of IBM or whatever it is, you know, I don't know who that is, but I'm just, it's an archetype. Um, Everybody wants magic in their life, everybody. And if people don't understand what that means, think about falling in love. I don't know anybody that would prefer to not have ever fallen in love in their life. Um, and when people are in love, it's magic. The mm. world looks different. Everything is different. And nobody can measure it. So you might be able to measure a little bit of oxytocin and some other neurotransmitters, new, they're elevated. There's no kind of scientific proof for love. We can't validate it. It's not peer-reviewed science, but boy, it is a force. And that force is magic. And when we can connect to magic, all of a sudden, life becomes so much more interesting. Everybody with an addiction problem is looking for something else, Amber. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. From the most basic thing, if I'm ingesting a drug or anything, that means that the present moment is not okay. Right? I got to change it somehow. Wow, I'm a little down. Let me have a cocktail. Boy, I'm really happy. Let me have a cocktail. Uh, you know, And so that means on an unconscious level, hey, this moment is not enough. And if this moment is not enough, that means it's too boring. It's too mundane. There's no magic. There's no creative juices flowing. There's no mojo happening. Mm-hmm. And that's what people are so thirsty for. So I think what you're talking about and bringing forth this, this whole series that you're offering to the world is about bringing magic back into their lives. And whether people will admit it or not, and I think people might be self-conscious about admitting it, everybody wants it. And if you don't want it, then hey, man, you gotta wake up. And, um, and people are, sometimes people are feeling so bad and, and again, I don't need to in any way um, make a statement that will insult anybody. Sometimes people, you know, we, we deal with depression and PTSD and some pretty substantial issues that people have. And it's been so long since they felt themselves. The thought of magic is so far from their minds. But once they get a taste of it, all of a sudden, it gives them something to get well for.
0: Hmm. What would you say to somebody who's listening to this that maybe they know somebody close to them who might be struggling with addictions or maybe they are recognizing that they themselves might be struggling with addictions and and you've piqued their curiosity with this magic that they could be experiencing. What would you say to somebody that, kind of is in that place of struggling with addiction?
1: Well, you know, I think that addiction is so stigmatized. And a lot of times people will come to the sanctuary, you know, hey, I don't have an addiction, but I have all these other things I got to work on. And actually, that's why people have addictions, because they do have all these other things to work on. So that's. um, But if we think about, in the most basic sense, let's talk about what motivates people. Um, In the most basic sense, biologically, we move towards pleasure and away from pain. So most people that start an addiction don't wake up and say, oh, my goodness, I'm in so much pain. I need to drown out these feelings. Let me take a chemical or a Valium or Xanax or whatever. Um, Most people start doing that kind of stuff because it feels better. They get some relief. Hey, I take a cocktail. All of a sudden... I can dance better, you know, I have courage to talk to members of the opposite sex and tell my boss to jump off the bridge. Um, you know, other things I would never do if my inhibitions weren't put to the side, so we have to ask ourselves, what is it about how I feel about myself that prevents me from dancing the way that I would want to that people think I look stupid or I'm uncoordinated or I can't do this, I can't do that. all of these things going on that's what we need to look at
0: mm-hmm.
1: anybody that that is got a pattern going on in their life that has become too costly we have to look at all the underlying beliefs that are creating that scenario that is again creating that limitation in someone's life that then a drug seems to alleviate so when we can then add th- some magic in, all of a sudden, you know, we can do it, we can, we can kind of get high without the side effects or the negative side effects, you know? So interesting, I, I don't consider myself an addict anymore because cellularly it doesn't live in me and there's a million science, like, there's a lot of documentation around that and I have the direct experience of it and I've seen hundreds of people also do the same thing at, at our center and how the reason why I don't take any intoxicants presently is not because I'm worried about it or I'm worried about the relapse. I'm not. It, it, it doesn't live in here. The reason why I don't do any of that is because there is something so powerful about the present moment and synchronicity and to be available for the subtle clues and cues that the universe has for us that will make the difference between an epic stellar life and an average okay life where I'm living in my comfort zone and staying pretty safe and dying inside on a soul level. So really, again, whether people want to admit it or not, what people are looking to do is get out of their comfort zone and live a little bit. And, Mm -hmm. and Hey, I'm not able to um, leave my job and the kids and all that kind of stuff. I'm, you know, I'm married and blah, blah, blah. Hey, we don't have to, we can begin to create some, some daily rituals that will connect me to my authentic place. And from that place, all of a sudden my relationships and all the things around me become different. And now they I'm meeting them on a soul level or with deeper meaning, and therefore, I'm getting more meaning out of them. And then the things that are truly right for us will stick around, and the things that are not truly right for us will not stick around, and will be replaced by something that is in resonance with us on a deep level. You know, you and I, Amber, hey, We're friends. We've known each other for a couple of years. You know, have a lot of respect and care for you. And we look at the world in a different way, you know? So Mm -hmm. is you know, good and right for you on a daily basis. That's not the same for me. So knowing Mm -hmm. what those things are, um, then will help us to find the things that will truly feed us and feed the soul. And they're not, in the mind, I cannot sit and make a list of things to do and check them off. Um, hey, it feels good at the end of the day when all your checklist is checked off. You know, I'm not going to take that away from anybody. But that's not soul food. And that's not going to get you to the place of magic. Hopefully, you can cross those things off by lunchtime. So then you have the rest of the day to make magic in your life.
0: And but it's all about magic. I, I feel like you're speaking to me with the to-do list because I am totally a <laughs> to-do list checker offer type of person. You know, maybe I can recover from that one day. <laughs> um, the last question I think I have for you, Dean, is, um, well, there's two. One, one that kind of wants to come through is, is there anything that you want to share with us about an archetype that maybe you're working with, or that's been prominent in your life or that you think maybe the listeners might benefit from? There's like an archetype (laughs) feeling. Well, you
1: know, got a couple of them. I think, first of all, let's talk about what an archetype is. So these are these, you know, Um, These kind of psychological assignments that we put on things, and then they develop a life of their own. So if we look at some classical archetypes like the villain, hey, we all know what that looks like. My version is slightly different than yours, but we kind of know what that is. The victim, you know, we all know what that is, and these things take on a life of their own. So a very prominent archetype that I've had in my life is that of the warrior. And so, you know, back in my addiction days and, you know, I had a very substantial habit and I also had a job and all kinds of things, you know, so nobody really knew until it got really bad. So I have to manage all this stuff. You know, I'm in some horrible neighborhood with a gun stuck to my head, somebody stealing money. And I have to then go to the ATM and get more money because I need these chemicals or else I'm going to get so sick. Then I have to be at work at 6 a.m. the next day. Holding all that together, the archetype of the warrior, and, and that, then, that's then, that been a strong archetype in my life. And now, um, you know, I, I looked in the mirror not too long ago, and I saw that my hair is now gray, you know, and I don't know how that happened. But all of a sudden, I'm wondering, well, maybe this warrior... I have to bring in the archetype of the king, kind of the wise wise one. And that doesn't mean I have to totally get rid of the warrior because that's a hard one to let go of. But I think about, you know, back in medieval days, hey, the king doesn't have to be right, the first guy to charge across the line. You know, the king's back in his tent and rides around Mm -hmm. and and occasionally has to pull out the sword, you know? So I think that... um, those are the archetypes that I'm working on and another archetype actually that we've been talking about a little bit is the magician. And right. the magician is, you know, a person that is really connected to their craft. And I've often thought to myself because I'm not an artist, you know, what do I what am I good at? You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what my craft is. And then one day I realized I was walking around the sanctuary. I'm like, holy smokes. I don't know what I'm good at, but I'm good at this. You know, like all of a sudden, this is my magic. This is where I Mm -hmm. come because of my own trials and tribulations. And and I realized, hey, I know more about addiction than any counselor I have ever sat in front of. Um, And I'm not saying that from an ego place, just from an experience place. 30-something years of, of being in treatment. You know, I count the time at the sanctuary of, as that. You know, I've been in rehab mm-hmm. for 36 years of my life. And um, so I'm good at that. And the, so those are some archetypes that I'm currently working with right now because I'm really looking to increase my magic to share this model. So interesting. Um, the sanctuary, when we first started, you know, we were the laughing stock of the treatment industry, right? Oh, we're holistic and this and that and non tox all these things. Well, the tables have turned because now every other center is, you know, looking at us. And I, I look at other centers' websites and I'm like, you know, I wonder where they got all that stuff. Us. We're the we were the first ones doing it, you know, and yeah. So if uh That warrior archetype helped me to hold that dream until the rest of the world was able to catch up and receive it.
0: So, are you seeing a lot of um, recovery facilities adopting this model? Are you seeing a trend moving in that way?
1: Well, you know, now holistic has become the thing integrative. um, And I think it's great. You know, people throw in a little yoga and meditation, which is awesome. It's a start, you know, for us, hey, that's not going to totally get us to the domain of the soul, the human energy system. You know, when we were talking about this greater force that affects all things in the cosmos, how do we connect to that? I don't connect to it through my five senses. I connect it through my energy field. And this is something, if you go to HeartMath, which is a, a company that, um, created a device to create heart-brain coherence. They have so much peer-reviewed science about the energy body. This is a real thing. And the interesting thing about your energy body, it needs to be on the same frequency as planet Earth's energy field. So the magnetic field of planet Earth needs to be on the same channel as our magnetic field. And if it's not, guess who's not gonna feel good, Amber? But I won't have a reason why I'm not going to be able to say, Oh, gee whiz, my energy's off today. I'm going to assign that to something. Oh my God, my relationship, my this, my that, my boss, my parents, whatever. So I think that um, a lot of centers are now moving in the right direction. But if we don't look at the entire thing, um, we're missing great opportunities for, for wellness. And so the entire thing. I'm including the soul in that. So we have a body, a mind, a soul, and an an energy field, spirit, we'll call it that. So if I have something that's wrong in one of these things, it must affect the rest. It has to. We're connected, right? So everybody knows that, God, when I have something troubling me, eventually it's going to break my body down. You know, stress is a killer. Stress is here. But The hormones of stress, all that cortisol, all that stuff going to give me brain damage and begin to tear down my body. Well, if all of these things are connected, that means if I work on all of these things concurrently, my chances of resolving my problem are exponentially greater. So for people listening to this, I have a problem, whatever it is, I'm not fulfilled or I'm ill. Or I've got a dysfunctional family system. Well, you, you name it. Well, we have to address that in all aspects of our being, because it lives everywhere. And that includes the soul and ceremony. So it's so counter to what we're taught because we live in a very left brain culture. So if you think about that left brain and right brain, you know, left brain is very linear, very organized, very Pattern oriented, um, and we reward that. So what I mean by that is, hey, I go to school, I get good grades, I get into a good college, I do well, I get recruited by a good company, I get some bunch of promotions, I get a big bonus and a big retirement fund. We stress that. So I walk into my interview and I say, I can do twenty things at one time. I'm a multitasker. I can do this. I have no personal life. Oh, the person goes, Wow, man, this guy sounds all right. Then we the right brain, which is all about our intuition and creativity, and that's not so valued in our culture. So if I walked into my interview at Microsoft and I told them, oh my God, well, the best thing about me is I am so sensitive. Well, I don't know that I would get the job. And then I would tell them, you know, I specialize in doing one thing at a time. (laughs) Um, they would be like, that's great, man, and there's the door. So that standard, we would look at the brain and think, wow, the left brain is this giant watermelon-sized structure where all the action is, and my right brain is this tiny little walnut over here that doesn't do anything. We look at them, and they're both the same size. We've just been paying attention to this. And now, I think, to be balanced, we have to start to pay attention to this. And a way to do that is exactly what you're bringing forth in the world right now, Amber, is by connecting to the domain of the soul.
0: Mic drop. Beautiful.
1: So, you know, that's what I think. And anyway, I I invite people to, totally disagree with that or totally agree with that, or I'm always open to changing my mind, you know, but that feels good. It's worked for me. And I can share that in, in my own life. I am living where I want to live. I'm with the people I want to spend time with. I'm fulfilling my sacred purpose on the planet. Um, On any given moment, including this one, there is not another place that I'd rather be. And if we can spend more of our time thinking that way, just imagine getting to your deathbed and being ready to go. And so rather than have regrets about what I didn't do or didn't feel or didn't experience, um, all the unfulfilled hopes and dreams, let's not find ourselves on the wrong side of that equation. You know, we gotta live a life of meaning and purpose. And the easiest way to get there is through some ritual
0: beautiful dean i I don't even think I can ask another question because I think that a way that you've beautifully summarized this this work is it's just so beautiful to have feeling and words and thoughts attached to to what I'm hoping that people will gain from listening to this. Um, I think that this has just been amazing. I feel like we've stepped, up, stepped outside of time. Um, and I just have loved connecting with you. So thank you so, so much, Dean.
1: Well, thank you, Amber. And you know what? I really believe in you. So thanks for hanging out with me. And thanks for, of all the people that you could have picked on the planet to spend time with and bring on to your show, the fact that you would think of me um, is my deepest honor. So thank you. Thank you so much.